This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Michael Austin is a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University. He teaches, writes, and speaks about topics in ethics, family, and sports, just to name a few. He has published 11 books, some of which are intended for scholars, but most are for people with an interest in how philosophical reflection can be applied to everyday life. And Mike also recently taught an entire course dealing with ethics in sports, and specifically the topic of promotion relegation. So we explored that in this conversation. Mike is also a high school soccer coach and very passionate about the beautiful game. And I came across Mike's name as I was researching or searching for additional information about Raymond Verheijen. And the reason why Mike's name popped up in my search was that he referenced my interview with Raymond in one of his short published articles. So that's what prompted me to reach out to him. And that's what I initially wanted to talk about. But some other stuff caught my attention and we ended up spending 15, 20 minutes talking about a lot of other interesting things as well. But after requesting the interview with Mike, another thing happened that I realized and he is actually one of our newest 343 coaching members. So that was just a random coincidence as well, which I thought was uh, which I thought was pretty cool. So uh, if you want to connect with Mike and learn more about the work that he does uh, off the field, and also on the field. You can visit him on Twitter, or you can visit his website. I've linked to both of those in the write-up for this podcast, which is available on 343coaching.com. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on every major podcast platform. That means Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. And if you want to help the show grow, please subscribe to it, rate it, and review it. Leave a couple nice lines there in the uh, comment section if you want to so that way other people see that it's an enjoyable show and people like to listen to it and obviously the best way to help the show grow is by sharing it on social media on instagram on twitter on facebook wherever you are connected with friends and other coaches and parents or people that are passionate about the sport please share this podcast with them if you think that it can be helpful this podcast is supported by bounce athletics finding high quality and reliable training balls and numbered training vests can be challenging but Bounce Athletics has you covered. They are offering 343 listeners an additional 10% discount on orders. And I just spoke to Zach Jonker, founder of Bounce Athletics, about a new package deal that they are offering to help coaches get ready for tryout season. You can order 24 of their custom soccer balls and 24 of their custom numbered reversible training vests for $6.99. They also have a package deal that comes with 48 balls and 48 vests for $11.99. And the training vests are great for colleges, high schools, and camps that are looking for ways to identify players and keep training sessions organized and to just keep themselves on track instead of having to worry about who's who, what's what, where's where. Everything just stays nice and tidy and organized. And the balls that you get in that package, well, the balls are on par with brands like Nike and Adidas and Select, and I highly recommend them. The players that I coach are constantly fighting over the Bounce Athletic balls that I have in the ball bag. I use products from Bounce Athletics in every single training session, and I only agreed to bring them on as a sponsor of this podcast because I actually like and use their products. So if you want to see what they are all about, please check out their products. And if you are ready to submit your order, you can do that by emailing info at bounceathletics.com. 
but make sure that you mention 343 so that you receive your additional 10% discount. That is a very crucial ingredient in that deal. If you don't mention it, you don't get the extra 10% off. So do that. This podcast is also supported by something that I use every single training session. And I'm talking about the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program. The exercises and the methodology provided by 343 completely changed the way that I coach my teams, and I have never looked back. If you are an ambitious coach that is serious about learning how to coach possession soccer, this program is for you. The 343 membership is a powerful and effective online program for coaches who are looking for a proven methodology and a high-quality education for a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. This program is for coaches of all levels, whether it's club, high school, college, or even pro. And when you sign up, you get 24-7 access to videos of actual training sessions and games, which showcase the proven 343 methodology. You also get a series of eBooks, audio lessons, classroom presentations, and you're instantly connected to a nationwide network of other like-minded coaches that are currently enrolled. You can learn more about the benefits of the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program, or if you are ready to sign up, you can just go ahead and go for it. But all of that information is available at 343coaching.com. All right, that's it for the intro. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Michael Austin. Right. So I, I kind of hinted at what I wanted to talk to you about and, and maybe I can kind of um, preface with I was going I was going through some older episodes that I'd recorded and I was I, I was just scheduling some of the, the older episodes to go out again so that they kind of gain a little bit more traction. And yeah. and as I as I went through the process of doing that, I don't know why I did it, but I, I Googled 343 Raymond Verheijen. And it was kind of like my way of my, my lazy way of finding the episode quicker. And yeah. what actually came up was an article that you wrote and, and that surprised me. So I clicked on it and I, and I read through it and I was like, Oh wow. Like this, this makes a lot of sense. And this is a topic that I feel like we all battle with as youth soccer coaches and more specifically youth soccer players and youth soccer parents um, that, is a is a very interesting topic, but we don't really give it the attention that it really needs. Um, yeah. So I and it's something that I've never covered on the podcast before, other than you know just briefly with Raymond um, two years ago at this point. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk to you about it. So let's uh, let's uh, I, I guess maybe start with an introduction of of who you are and 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 then we can kind of get into what you wrote. And, and then pick that apart for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. Um, well, we'll go ahead and, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah. So I'm Mike Austin. I'm actually a philosophy professor at Eastern Kentucky university. Um, but the cool thing about that is I get to do a lot of whatever I want in terms of the things I read and write. And so I've got a lot of interest in sports ethics and, and then gosh, I started coaching soccer well, I refereed soccer in high school, helped my dad do some clinics, and then I started coaching again when my kids started playing. Um, and then my youngest, she was the most athletic of the three, and so when she started getting involved in club soccer, I started helping. And really, that's when I became passionate about about the game itself, both 
watching it. I started playing it with other, you know, middle-aged men <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and started, started coaching and just becoming a student of the game. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, I love watching it, reading about it. And, and so, yeah, the, I, I mean, if I, I told my students in class the other day, if I could pick two jobs, it'd be the ones I have to teach philosophy at a college and coach, uh, soccer. So yeah, You're that's me. It. You're living the dream. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Who knew? That's awesome. Um, you, you you mentioned that you get a little bit of freedom in what you get to do with. I'm assuming your free time too, but w- with with what you get to cover in your classes. So I'm I'm curious is 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 sports sports ethics something that you talk about in in philosophy when you when you're teaching philosophy? Yeah, I definitely do. I teach a lot of just introductory ethics classes, and so we'll talk usually a week or two about different issues in sports ethics. And then a pretty cool thing, a friend of mine who's a political scientist here, we actually taught an honors class this semester called the politics and philosophy of soccer. So that was pretty cool thing to do. So yeah, I just, the research I do and then teaching it's, um, I get to bring that stuff in. And a lot of people think of ethics and philosophy as, you know, a lot of people I've talked to have bad experiences when they took those classes in college and they don't think it's practical, but I go back to, I mean, the people like Aristotle or Plato, they were, for them, it was about, it was a way of, a way of figuring out how to live, not just talking about abstract issues. And so I think people are really, you can sit, you can really like get some real insight in ways that can help people, um, not just with sports, but life. So anyway, yeah, it's pretty cool. Tell me, tell me, tell me a little bit more about the the class that you guys did the the honors class. I'm really curious by that. And the only other person I've I've seen be be vocal about like soccer politics is a guy from I think University of Colorado or or Boulder. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, man. But he actually uh, he he got himself so intertwined into into the politics of soccer that he he testified against u.s soccer on behalf of oh man this is going to kill me too i think i think he was testifying on behalf of nasl um dur- okay. dur- during that whole um process must have been like two years ago now but yeah, yeah so, that's- so other other than him i i don't really know of anybody that's using soccer as a way uh you know soccer politics and and, and ethics as a way to, to to teach their classes in in college so that's this is very interesting to me yeah, no, we, our class is interesting. So I did the stuff I taught was mainly to do with the ethical side and sort of just like philosophy and what the nature of sport is in general and applied to soccer. But he taught both, you know, how soccer inter- interacts with just global politics, which with like, you know, you know, like actual political situations in the world and gave some examples from, you know, Europe and C- Central and South America. But but yeah, we, we looked some to it, just the way it's set up in the country. So, of course, we talked about promotion and relegation, and I got a chance to, you know, just therapeutic for me to complain about U.S. soccer. And I don't have anything new to add than what you guys talk about a lot on the podcast. But, um, yeah, so it was really interesting. And, and students, a lot of them, you know, we taught it two years ago, and the majority of them were really into soccer. This year, not so much like they played as kids, but didn't know much about the game. So it was a very different experience, but I think, yeah, it gave them a good insight into why people love it, but also just, just how unique soccer is compared to other sports in the world and the way it's set up in the U S and yeah, it's just kind of a, 
it was interesting to see their reactions and to see people that, that aren't in this world uh, learn about it for the first time. Now, what is that? What is that like when you get a class that isn't really soccer savvy? Are you, are you trying to draw connections to NFL, Major League Baseball, and, and those types of things, and, and try to paint the picture from that way, or, or how are you how are you trying to connect with them? Yeah, you definitely do some of that. So, you know, I teach at Eastern Kentucky University, and so you know, it's about twenty miles north of us is the University of Kentucky. So, there's plenty of basketball <laughs> analogies, and so you can see. I mean, I'm not from here. I grew up in Kansas City. Actually, have lived in in Southern California and went to Colorado. So I've been around um, pursuing my education, but here the university of Kentucky basketball, it's like, it's like a, it's the closest thing I've seen in American sports to, you know, like a, a Barca fan or a, you know, just a passionate supporter of a, of a club. So yeah. So you draw those analogies to, to how people's identity is wrapped up. Um, in their club in many ways and how it functions to give them community and, and of course, just a love of the game. And so you, they may not be able to understand it as soccer fans, but they understand the role it can play in someone's life um, given how they're passionate about UK basketball. <laughs> and and what is it like when you tell them that, that you know soccer clubs all around the world actually have the opportunity to kind of climb up and down this promotion relegation ladder and and here in the United States, none of our sports, none of our professional sports, have that same opportunity. Does that do do you notice um, a, a reaction from from the students when you when you start talking about that type of of or or that aspect of global sports versus American sports? Yeah, I think it's hard it's hard for them to understand because of in some ways because it is so different and because you know the the big three sports you know, football, baseball, and basketball are so, because of the money and because the elite leagues are here, I think it's hard to understand what that would even look like. But I actually showed part of that. Oh, it's on Netflix. One of the episodes of Sunderland till I die when they got relegated. And it really gave a picture of how that impacts. I mean, the players, the supporters, people that work for the club, the city. And so that seemed to really, that seemed to help them get, get the emotion of it. Um, and of course, remember, this is a club that's trying to stay up in the second tier of English uh, of football. And so just the, the drive for excellence and the pressure that you don't see, um, well, in MLS, of course, and in a lot of our leagues. So, yeah, I think for them, it was more of a just a learning experience, like never even heard of promotion and relegation. So that's the hard part, actually, about teaching a class with a bunch of students who don't know soccer is you're, you're having to, like, talk, you know, define not just those kind of things but just the nature of the game itself what's the six what's the 18 what's a penalty kick those kind of things but yeah they got into it and it was good so it's fun to do that and i i I wrote down a note earlier when you when you were talking about um you know global football experiences that intersection of of sport and politics quite often and yeah and in america it's all but eradicated like like they're they, they're they're kept so separate um and and the public doesn't view it or doesn't view a, a a professional sports team as like a political agent like like they are in in other countries like like barca you know there's demonstrations at every single game trying to you know free uh or trying to become a free state 
from Spain and, and people right. don't realize that like casual fan won't realize that, but the, you know, that intersection of, of politics and sport is, is present every single time that those players put on the Jersey. And, and really the only, the only occurrence that, that we get in the United States from that is, you know, when the teams go visit the white house after they win, or, you know, when, when Barack Obama was president, when he was kind of drawing his, NCAA bracket or you know probably most famously when when President Trump tried to uh, inject himself into the business of, of the NFL and people you know on both sides of that became very very passionate about um, how politics and sports collide in this country or or, or the lack of collision or, or the separation so we don't re- we don't get a ton of that here so I feel like when that happened it ignited just a, a wildfire of emotion on both sides and and in other countries it's kind of normal in a way like it's just it, it, it you don't you don't think about it like we I, I feel like we thought about it it wasn't as polarizing as as it was here so i don't know sorry that wasn't really a question more of just a statement no but that's right and we talked that came up a lot over the semester especially the barcelona real madrid and just all everything that goes in to that rivalry besides just the sport but yeah, like you said, the politics, the you know, the monarchy versus democracy, and the you know, being more than a club, and that's part of like the heart of Barcelona, right? It's that it's not just a soccer club. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think that's important, and it's it's good for them to see that. I think uh, it helps explain the passion. Yeah, because it's interesting. I, I and I, to use your your Kentucky example, it's like the the feeling behind you know supporting. UK versus versus Duke or or versus North Carolina or Michigan or or something like that like that rivalry those always interest me in in American sports specifically because like what like what do those teams really represent like like you know other than school colors or the the you know the area that you grew up in but like what's the difference in philosophy behind those behind those schools or, or behind those programs like what is the greater meaning behind all of these things like what's the what's the greater What's the greater meaning behind a San Francisco Giants versus an LA Dodgers game? What's the difference in philosophy uh, between between the two between the two teams? Because there isn't that much of a difference in the two cities themselves. Like the two cities really represent a lot of the same things um, politically and and and, and economically and, and and things like that. So that that always that always really is interesting to me when it when it comes to American sports is, you know, what are all these teams, what are all these different teams actually representing? And I've never been able to figure out you know what what they are when it comes to especially soccer. Like I can't I can't tell you the difference between the Colorado Rapids and the Houston Dynamo other than their jersey colors. I don't I don't know right. what those two teams represent differently because they're to me they both represent major league soccer. So I I, I don't know what what the difference is in those two teams. I, I that that could just be me, but nobody's giving me a good answer. So yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Like I think for the Kentucky basketball example, it's there's not really a professional team in the state. You know, Cincinnati's probably the closest, but so it represents the state and they identify with it. But yeah, I thought I had the same thought. There's no, there's no like, this is who we are as a basketball team, right? Today, and it's the same as 10 years ago or 20 years ago. There's no style, right, necessarily. Um, and yeah, it's the same with MLS. I mean, I grew up in Kansas City, so I'm a, I like sporting Kansas City, but I mean, uh, <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> I hate to be <laughs> negative. I, but, you know, like I watched Arsenal this past week, and that's the my, the team, I, the club I support. And, you know, they, they, they drew, and they're devastated. I was watching Sporting Kansas City play this week, and I just stopped playing. Stopped watching at halftime, one, because the soccer was pretty bad. They had a lot of injuries. And two, because it didn't matter. I mean, whether they win or lost, apart, as far as the success of the season, it's not going to make a difference, just the way it's set up. So, anyway, yeah, it's just something I was thinking about because it, it was like a real contrast between, you know, we're fighting for the top four, and, yeah, we've got a game and we want to win, but, you know, we just need to be playing well when the playoffs roll around and make those, and then we'll roll the dice and hope we do something. But, yep, yep, and just play play well enough to get you to that point. And, and then, that's right. And then, then you can start rolling the dice. <laughs> yeah, that's um, exactly it. All right. Well, I didn't anticipate talking about that for 15 minutes, but that was, yeah. <laughs> that was, that was a good, exciting <laughs> conversation. Um, the reason I did want to talk to you and, and what caught my eye, especially about the, the, the interview that I had con- conducted with Raymond, um, he, he had talked a lot about over overuse and, and injuries and people forget that Raymond is or has experience in, in a lot of experience um, with uh, the management or, or of the the total program I guess uh, the total soccer program meaning you know how how much load a player can take on on a week to week or month to month or season to season basis and so one of the things that we just completely overlook in American youth soccer is the amount of, of games, competitive games that our kids are playing. And so we bounce from, you know, a club season in the fall here in, uh, in California. So our, our season runs from about August to November where you're playing usually two games per weekend. And if, if they're not back to back days, they're, they're on the same day. So you're playing two games within 48 hours uh, or sorry, two games within, you know, 30 hours usually yeah um so you're you're playing those two games you only have two practices per week i think that's pretty standard but it's the 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 short the short um the short time between games and the high frequency of games over the course of months or like three four months that that is really the bigger problem and and then you bounce from that and then you go into tournament season where the kids are playing anywhere from three to six games in a weekend and then they're doing that three four five times during the tournament season and whatnot. So it's like just, just the, the, the amount of games and the amount of time spent playing on the field is incredibly high in this country. And, and we say that we don't play enough. It's like, yeah, I, I think we're, I think that we play too much. Um, and, and I'm not counting, you know, free play or street soccer or things like that. I, I, I don't count that. Um, in in a player's play, like how much they're playing, I'm counting just the, the just the number of games, and I would say, um, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy games for a lot a lot of uh, youth soccer players is probably normal. Which it's incredible to think that that is like we've normalized seventy games for a youth soccer player. Like, that's insane to me. But um, yeah, so that's uh that's kind of the the genesis behind that part of the conversation between Raymond and I was that kids are playing too much and and these overuse. Uh, the overuse of these players' bodies are causing injuries and, and whatnot. And so that prompted you to, to write about that. And so I'm curious, um, what, what, like, what about that issue got under your skin enough that you wanted to write about it? And then what, what was your stance on it? Yeah, I think it's something I've been thinking about. And as I said in that essay, back at the, at the time, or a little before then, I had been coaching middle school soccer 
And so here in Kentucky, that the middle school, which it's kind of unique to have that, but we have it. So those girls, some of them play club and rec or club or rec soccer along with middle school. But I just, but yeah, it's the same thing. So some of them would go from our practice after school to their club or other, you know, rec team practice right after that. And then, you know, the, the rec players have one or two games over the week and the club players, like you said, might have five. Um, and, and then I just think these kids, these are middle schoolers, you know, they're a time where their bodies are growing, you know, some of them, I mean, just they're all over the map, right. In terms of their physical development. And so I actually tried to get our conference to just, we play every team in our conference twice at the time. Like there's no reason they only counted the first game in seating. So it was just, there was no logic to it. And, it was like I was speaking another language, like, well, we just need our players to play. And so I started thinking about, well, why, you know, why do we need them to play? I mean, they're in middle school, they're, you know, 12 years old, 11, they need to learn the game. And yeah, games are important, but training actually is more important. Um, and so, yeah, I've seen, you know, you go to a tournament, how many girls do you see? I coach a girl. So that's usually what, what I'm around on a team i mean it's not uncommon to see one or two of them with the you know the big knee brace because they've had an acl or they're in a boot or they've got back problems all those overuse injuries when there's no reason for it no good reason now i have my thoughts about what's driving it sometimes but that's what got under my skin is kids are getting hurt they're not even learning the game as much as they could because they need some more training and why are we doing it i don't know why um Sometimes I think it has to do with, well, actually a lot of the times with money. Um, a lot of people are making money, a lot of money off of parents um, who have the money and are willing to pay it. I think the other issue, actually, I just came across this quote this morning um, that, that I think is relevant. Um, that, you know, we think, I think of youth sports, including soccer, something, it's, it's a tool to educate kids, you know, about sport, about soccer and about life. Um, of course, it's about playing well and winning. But I think a lot of parents these days go to these things to be entertained by their kids, right? They go to their kids' sports, you know, they go to a soccer match or a soccer tournament for their daughter or son, the same mindset that they would go, you know, to a baseball game or something to be entertained. So they they spend time, they spend money, they travel, and they want a certain product. And if it doesn't live to what they think it should be, right, they get upset at everybody. But then what's the cost of that, right? To the kids' bodies and things like that. So anyway, that's a lot of it. But, I, you know, I think it goes back to these old ideas that that there's a lot of ego involved, there's a lot of pride involved, both coaches and parents, and I would say there's some greed running through it all as well. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. As a part-time DOC, I had a budget, and, you know, we needed training gear every year, and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high-quality, affordable training balls. That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods, and and I think we've really got it dialed in to to where now you know with with our training balls we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering three four three members and listeners ten percent off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. 
Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. And thinking back to that to that interview with Raymond, one of the points that he made is that those overuse injuries are starting to appear at younger and younger and younger ages. So it's no longer like the high school players that are suffering from these ACL um, ACL tears. It's now, like you mentioned, middle school players and even younger that you know you're starting to see these these overuse injuries. And and this is where I think people are are gonna uh, their ears might perk up or they might have perked up when I said that kids are playing too much. It's they're, yeah. they're, they're playing too many structured games where, you know, they're, they're playing in those tournaments where they're playing six games in two days. Like that is, that is too much. That is too much. But if you spread yeah. that out over properly over the course of a week where the kid accumulated the same amount of time spent playing, uh, but, it was only one hour per day or one and a half hours per day or two hours per day, whatever the appropriate number would be in a setting like street soccer or futsal or training on, on, on a grass field or things like that with one game where you're reaching, you know, the maximum, maximum intensity for, for that allotted, uh, you know, that, that allotted amount of time, that's completely different. Like that, that, that's how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be cram six games into 30 hours. And so yeah. when, when people hear me say, you know, kids are playing too much, that's what they're doing too much. They're, they're playing too many games in that small amount of time. And one thing that's happening currently, I've, I've been watching it on TV lately, is the U17 CONCACAF uh, Boys Championships Um they're down in Bradenton, Florida. And, and what I noticed is that even at that level, they're starting to figure it out and they're starting to space it out that, you know, the kids aren't playing back to back to back days like they used to with, with some of these uh, high level youth tournaments. Now they have at least one or two days in between games for these kids to rest, for these young boys to rest. These are 15, 16, 17 year old boys. And they, they recognize the importance of that break. And it's like you mentioned when people are putting on these tournaments for money, it's it's basically how much how many games can I cram in there so that the parents think that it's worth it to drive the four five six hours and get the hotel and whatever like how many how, how much do I need to offer these people uh, before or, or for them to think that it's worth it enough to hand over money to us that's that's really yeah. what youth tournaments have have become in my opinion people I have a feeling this might spark some uh, interesting Twitter debate when I post this but. Yeah. yeah, but it's just, it's hard to reach another conclusion. Now, you know, there are some, like you said, that do a good job and we do some tournaments with the high school team, you know, one game on a Saturday and maybe one or two on a Sunday. And even that's like, that's a lot. I mean, you know, but yeah, to get five or six, it's just, yeah, I think a lot of them, a lot of it is about money. A lot of it is a love of the sport. And then I think sometimes you get in the midst of it and, even if that wasn't your original intention, you get kind of pressured that way and just sort of happens. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. I think we'd have better soccer players in America if they played fewer structured games and we're doing more training or, you know, some of my best memories growing up and even in high school and college are just pickup games because no one was bothering us, right? We could just play the game. So, yep. Yep. And I think the, the mental, and I have no, I, I have absolutely zero evidence to back this up. By the way, um, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> which is, like, I'm not, I, I don't claim to be a scientist or a guru or anything. Yeah. But I, I just feel like the the, the mental stress and, and and the breakdown of the body is different when it's a real game 
versus like a fun or pickup game or or kind of like the unstructured play that uh, street soccer things like that. It's just the wear and tear in the body just feels different to me, and it's always felt different to me. Like after a, a game on Saturday with my team, with my jersey on and my cleats and my shin guards. I used to leave games completely exhausted, just mentally and physically just broke down. And I never remember feeling like that after, after pickup or, or playing, you know, just at the park with my friends or, or playing arena soccer, you know, and I don't know. It, I don't know how to describe the difference, but it was just, it, it was just different. The next day I didn't feel exhausted. Like I did after playing a game with my, with my team uh, on, on Saturdays. And I, I don't know how to, how to po- how anybody could possibly measure that. So if anybody has, you know, information on that, I would, I would really appreciate you sharing, um, you know, sharing, sharing that with me and with everybody else, because I, I, for whatever reason, I just have like the suspicion that, that, you know, once it becomes a real game, something in the body just changes, something in the mind changes and, and it, and it just gets treated differently than, than the other moments that are great learning moments. Like you mentioned, pickup soccer, street soccer, futsal, like those types of things are, are, are great moments. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know where I was going with all the, with all these thoughts, man. I'm, I'm not really asking questions. I'm just, I'm just saying shit and, and getting your response from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's all right. That's good. Right. That's, I mean, that, I think, I mean, look, I mean, I agree obviously, cause I think it's something that has bothered me. And I, I think you're probably onto something. I mean, obviously I'm a philosopher, well, philosopher, not a psychologist or psychiatrist, but from the little I know, it makes sense when you have that. There's, there's a lot, I mean, kids are under a lot more stress. I mean, think about like the stereotypical bad soccer parent, right? Who's yelling at the coach, yelling at officials, yelling at his or her kid, all that stress. You do that five times in a weekend compared to just you and your friends. And then there is just the extra, there's just something different about a game that, you know, that counts, so to speak, right? There's, you feel that deeper, if you're a competitor, you, you want to give it your all, you might have more pressure from teammates. I mean, yeah, it's just a different thing. So I guess, you know, I don't have any evidence either, but I guess I, I have the same sort of armchair, you know, <laughs> opinion that it would be good to look into. And it makes perfect sense to me that that would be an impact. And that's going to, you know, then that makes you think about why do we lose so many kids? Well, because there's so much more of that high stress physically and psychologically environment from, you know, when they start playing club until, you know, then by the time they're a freshman or sophomore in high school, they've had enough. Maybe, maybe you can help me figure something out right now. I'm, I'm kind of, I have a thought in my head, you know, that, yeah. So thoughts like start the way that the we're discussing them right now. And, and I have a feeling, um, I want to say this the right way. When, when, maybe I'll just ask, ask straight up. With philosophy, you're you're talking about like like thoughts and 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 possibilities and ideas and things like that. When when does that transfer over to something like psychology or or like a like psychiatry? When when does it need to become scientific? Yeah, that's a good question because there's definitely an overlap, and so especially like the stuff I do, I'm interested in things about character, and so looking at philosophy or at character from a philosophical perspective. We think about, I mean, in philosophy, you think of a claim or a view, and then you just, you look for reasons to think that it's true. You try to construct arguments. Overlap with, like, like empirical work, or, like, you know, think of as, as scientific then. Um, sometimes they overlap, sometimes they don't. Um, and now I've sort of lost. <laughs> <laughs> Stereotypical philosopher, I just lost a train of thought. But, yeah, I mean, we, 
the empirical stuff matters. Um, and, and as a, and as a philosopher, right. I mean, there's, there's philosophy, but there's philosophy of all kinds of stuff, philosophy of sport, philosophy of psychology, of biology. So we kind of stick our noses in everywhere and, and look at what people are doing. But yeah, there's, there's a certain kind of argumentation that just has to do with, I've got a, a claim I want to argue for, and here's some reasons that support it. Some of those reasons might, might have to do with like psychology or even a, a theory in physics or chemistry. Sometimes it's just um, claims about human nature. So yeah, it's wide open. And the reason why I ask that is because philosophy is a word that is used so much in American youth soccer. I'm sure it, that that word or the equivalent exists elsewhere as well. But we all, as youth coaches, we all talk about our philosophy or the club's philosophy. And a lot of times people are just saying words, I feel like. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and there, there, isn't, there, there isn't any reason or rhyme or reason to, to what they're saying. And so um, I've, I've been thinking about it more so lately because I want to start like this new idea for, for, for a podcast where people have to state their coaching philosophy. And then I want to kind of discuss or debate their philosophy and, and why those things, um, why those words are used for their philosophy, why this stuff works, why they believe in this, why, why they don't believe in the other things. And so I'm really curious about that, but I definitely need to do my homework and, and start to figure out more and more about like, you know, what philosophy really means in, in soccer and, and, uh, where some of this other stuff needs, like needs to be inserted into the conversation. Like, okay, your philosophy is this, where's the evidence to back it, back it up that it works or is the evidence necessary or, or things like that. So it's going to be a big experiment for me too. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited and, and nervous and, and, and anxious to, to get started with it. But that was where my, my brain was too, when I, when I first brought that up. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And I think you're right. It just gets thrown around. But then what is it? Why do you believe it? What, you know, how is it successful? And, you know, of course, doing what I do, I have my own sort of philosophy about how I coach and what I want my players kind of experience. I want them to have and what we're trying to do together. But, but yeah, you can't just say stuff, right? There's got to be, <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> there's got to be like, okay, well, what does that mean? And if my philosophy, if our club's philosophy is this, then what are you doing during the week that, that, shows that that's really what you believe and if you can't point to anything then it's not your philosophy right it just looks good on a brochure or a website or whatever but it's not what you're actually doing so yep yep um well man i wanted i wanted to talk more about the uh the acl and, and overuse stuff but we wasted 15 minutes of great conversation uh, <laughs> on 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 the other stuff which i I'm, i was re- pleasantly uh, surprised about and and I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that and and it just makes me want to it, it honestly makes me want to interview you again and, and be a little bit more um more dialed in on 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 the subject matter because i i i love talking about the the sports ethics and, and and those types of things so um maybe maybe we need to get you back on on here to talk just about that yeah i'd love to do that i mean i you know I, I live and breathe this stuff. And I, one of the reasons I love your podcast, I mean, it's the, I've tried other soccer ones, but I always come back to this one because there's, there's a passion to it. There's a authenticity of trying to like figure out what's true and what's not just about the game, but about the game in America. And yeah, I'd love to talk more. That'd be awesome. Cool. Um, where can, where can people find the article that we discussed briefly and, and where can people connect with you? on uh on social media platforms 
Yeah, probably the best social media is on Twitter, and it's at Michael W. Austin. So that's the, the Twitter name. The article is on, uh, it's a blog called Ethics for Everyone. It's Psychology Today. So Psychology Today has a bunch of different people, not just in psychology, but across different fields of study and, and things like that. So if you go to the Ethics for Everyone Psychology Today, you can just kind of scroll through and uh, I think the article you're talking about is called Money, Pride, and Injury Risks in Youth Sports, uh, but it's focused on soccer. That is the one. That is, that is it. It took me it took me a while to refind it before this interview. I was I was back on the Google machine and I was like, all right, where the hell? How did I figure out where, <laughs> where this article was? And it took me it took me a couple minutes, but I found it again. So yeah. I'll link to that in the in the write up of this podcast and. And um, I'll, I'll link to your Twitter account as well. And uh, okay. I, guess, I guess I should also say welcome too, because uh, you're you're one of our newest three four three members, right? Yeah, that's right. I've been doing the free stuff for a while, but I just pulled the trigger on the first year on Sunday. So yeah, I'm looking forward to to working in more in depth with it and getting my getting my team to play more that way. Nice. Um, well, maybe, maybe, yeah, well, let's definitely get you back on the show, maybe like six months or something from now, and and we can we can do an update on on soccer politics and ethics. And then we can also get an update from you about, uh, about your progress with your team since, uh, you're, you're pretty much starting at, uh, well, you're starting in phase one with the membership. So, um, it'd be nice to get like a, like a six month update from you. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, I appreciate your time, Mike, and, uh, let's, uh, let's do this again in about six months, but for right now, let's go, uh, let's go watch Barca Liverpool. All right. That sounds good. (laughs) I love what you do. Keep it up. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. Yep, thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 Coaching Education Program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.